<clears throat> this morning, uh, we will turn back uh, to the ninth chapter of the book of Romans. <clears throat> Heard a guy say the other day, he said, well, said, nobody ever preaches on the uh, 9th, 10th, 11th chapter of Romans. I thought, well, maybe not in some places. I don't know. We have been attempting for a few weeks. Uh, we go back to the first of the year, <clears throat> not to give, <laughs> not to preach the whole for the whole first four months of the year. Uh, but we talked, started out, began the year by talking about the sovereignty of God and how God is uh, above all else. That God is does not answer to anyone else uh, because there's none higher than Him, uh, and how God works His will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand. Uh, from there, we moved on to talk about how God uh, has an elect family and how this is shown. Uh, the word elect means chosen. Uh, and uh, as we found over in the uh, first chapter of the book of Ephesians, we found over there a portion of Scripture that says God has chosen us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world uh, and that we should be holy and without blame before him and love. That's Ephesians 1 and 4, if you want to read that. Uh, and from there, we proceeded to talk about how, uh, you know, if we move over to the 8th chapter of the book of Romans then, the 8th uh, the chapter of the book of Romans uh, begins to talk about whom God predestinated, them he also called, and whom he called he justified, and whom he justified he glorified. And, and, you know, if you dive into the middle of the book of Romans, you know, there, there's at least some explanation needs to go back uh, to the things that are before it because uh, Paul is writing a letter to the church at Rome. And as he's writing this letter, he's writing to a mixed congregation, if you will. Uh, there were both Jews and uh, Romans, Gentiles among the congregation. And Paul is making a very, uh, you know, if those of you who have studied God's word over some period of time know Paul almost was like a lawyer uh, in the sense that he would lay out very logical uh, arguments uh, both against things and for things. And, and also, as you look through the book of Romans, Paul is laying out one lengthy dissertation. And, you know, I, I told somebody one time, I said, I, I've heard Elder Sonny Piles preach over the years where he would start out on a subject. Uh, and, you know, during the course of his preaching, uh, which when, as he was younger, often was quite lengthy preaching. Uh, and he would, he would take uh, many detours, it would seem, almost of telling stories. Uh, but the stories were all related to the core subject. And if you could keep that in mind as you were listening to him, you could begin to see the beauty of the story he was weaving. But he would joke himself from the stand sometimes. Uh, he would, he would you know, kind of jump back into things and he'd say, you, you thought I forgot where I was at, right? You know, well, that's, that's almost the way the Apostle Paul's writings are is that you go through this whole thing, you know, and, and you see people like me and others over the years, you know, you dive into, we're going to preach on the 8th chapter of the book of Romans and, uh, you know, or we're going to write to preach for the ninth or whatever, and you forget that there's this whole story that Paul is weaving of writing to the church at Rome and saying, uh, God has a people both among the Jews and the Gentiles, uh, while the Jews had the law and were blessed and favored to have the law uh, as a way of serving God, God also had a people among the Gentiles who did not have the law. But over time, we noticed that they began to do the things 
of the law of, the law of righteousness, of, of righteous living, because God had written it on their hearts. Uh, and then he, he begins to go through and make this discussion about how uh, that they're both justified or declared uh, or made just, maybe I should say made just before God by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's, in the, that's in Romans 5, if you want to go read that. Uh, and he's also some lengthy discussion in Romans 4 about how Abraham, who was uh, God's uh, child, uh, acknowledged or was accounted that he was righteous because he believed God and, and did the things to follow God. He didn't just say, yeah, I believe you, God. No, when God said, Abraham, get up and go, Abraham got up and went. <laughs> when, when God said to Abraham, Abraham, take your only begotten son and take him up and sacrifice him to me, the Bible says Abraham got up early in the morning and he went. And, and I, I say that to say that a lot of times we, you know, in our, I think in the modern culture mind, believing something kind of, we get to thinking that believing something is sort of a mental process. Yeah, I believe that. Uh, but in in the Bible, belief was more than just a uh, just a yes, I know that to be true. It's yes, I know that, and I'm going to do that and follow that because I know it's true. Uh, that so Abraham believed God. He believed him so much that he did what God said to do. And uh, uh, that's I think that's the kind of belief that we're called on to have is that not only do we say yeah, I know Jesus Christ is my Savior, but Jesus calls on me to take up my cross and follow Him. And so what do I do? I take up my cross and I follow him. That shows that, uh, that I do believe and it's accounted unto me or acknowledged for righteousness in, in my life. So uh, Paul makes this great discussion. He tells us just because we're justified by the shed blood of Jesus Christ uh, and that our justification uh, is contrasted against the sin of Adam, uh, that Adam's, uh, that all that were in Adam die, so all that are in Christ shall be made alive, and that, that contrast is made for us. But then he goes on and says, uh, should I continue in sin that God's grace may abound? No. Uh, heaven forbid. So we march right on through that portion of scriptures over into seven uh, where he's contrasting again the law and how, you know, the, the bride, I think the bride of Christ in the discussion comes in and he tells us, you know, that Paul says, you know, I, I know all this yet. He, he lays out the fact I struggle as a man because there's two manners uh, I'm two banners of person. I'm both a born-again child of God, yet I still have this flesh with me that struggles, that I struggle to get rid of, you know, to lay aside. Paul, Paul then gives us the cure in the beginning of the 8th chapter of the book of Romans and says, follow after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Uh, and that's the, that's the cure for me and you to not be so carnally minded, but to be more spiritually minded. Then he begins to lay out this lesson in, 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 in the last half of the or last part of the Romans chapter 8 where he tells that God predestinated and called and justified and glorified a people. And then he, he says, so if God be for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? Nothing, my friends, can separate you from God's love. And, and that's for me and you today, you know, 
Well, I made a long story now, but I didn't really do too bad. That's probably five to five to ten minutes or less to get all to get to this point. <clears throat> so, in the in the dark world that you and I are living in, where sometimes it seems like. Do, do, you, do you not feel, whether it's on a national basis or whether it's the problems facing your families and, and your loved ones, sometimes it seems like there is no hope. There is no, there is no, you know, what do I cling to in this times of desperation, this times of darkness, the times of despair in my life, and yet God has assured us in the midst of a desperate, dark world that if God be for you, if God loves you, you shall never be forsaken, my friends. And so uh, uh, as he goes on to, to, to this uh, portion of Scripture, I had, you know, I think my, you know, my wife is a blessing and a joy in a lot of ways. She also takes notes. I, I don't take notes on my own preaching. I don't know. Sometimes I, sometimes I preach from notes. Sometimes I don't. Uh, it just depends. Uh, and so I do know that the last time I stopped at Romans 9 and 12, thanks to her notes. Uh, and uh, I kind of thought that's where it was. But, you know, it's great to go get an affirmation of some of those things. So uh, as we go through this... You know, who shall separate us? Shall, shall height or depth or any other creature be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? And the answer is no. Uh, nay, as he says above this, we are, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And then he begins into chapter 9 <coughs> and talks about the fact that, uh, you know, I, Paul tells us that he says of a truth, he's, he has a great heaviness toward his brethren, uh, the Jews... Uh, to whom pertaineth the law, the, the adoption and the glory and the covenants, verse 4, and, and the giving of the law and the services, and whose fathers concerning the flesh came, uh, uh, as concerning the flesh Christ came, and so forth. He says, I have a great heaviness and a continual sorrow in my heart. Why? Well, he goes on and tells us over in chapter 10, and I'm not going to skip to chapter 10 this morning, but uh, his heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is they might be saved. Uh, why? Because he said, I bear the record that they have a zeal of God, but it's not according to knowledge. And that was the problem as, as Paul was trying to write this letter to the book of uh, this letter of Romans. He's telling us a, a message of God has a people among every kindred, nation, tongue, and tribe. They're all justified the exact same way. It's not by the law. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he tells us the just shall live by faith. Those of us who have been made just uh, and declared just by God, our job is like Abraham's to live by faith, to trust God. Uh, and I'm, I'm telling you today, every day, any day in our lives, the, the idea of just, in spite of what you see going on around you, drawing close to God and saying, God, I don't know. I don't know exactly where this is going. I, I'm not trying to take a path, you know, of unrighteousness. I'm trying to walk in a godly way. And, I, and in doing that, then I'm going to trust you for, for the outcome. I'm going to trust you for where it goes. I'm going to trust you for how things uh, turn out. Can you imagine? <laughs> Let's go back and put our, put our hats on now for a minute. And think, think about Abraham. Abraham walked by faith. <laughs> What did he do? He went to a land he didn't know anything about. How did he do that? Trusting God. I'm trusting God for the outcome. I'm trusting God for the fact that God has given me a promise that I would have a seed, that I would have a child. Uh, I'm too old for this. I don't know how this is going to happen. 
But God said it, and I'm going to trust that it's going to come about. Uh, so for you and me here this morning, you say, well, how does, uh, Brother Charles, you're talking about election. How does, that, how does that play out into our everyday living? Well, back a few weeks ago on a Sunday afternoon, I, I, I preached from the uh, book of Second Peter, where, he, where he's addressing the elect of God. Peter is addressing the elect of God, and he tells us there to add to our faith virtue. And the virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance. And if we do these things, uh, it will we'll not ever fall. Uh, we'll not ever fall into a world of trials. And, uh, I won't say trials. Uh, we won't ever fall away from God in spite of the trials. But, but we'll continue to add to our faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance, temperance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and so forth. Uh, and, and all of these things, we're drawing closer to God. So uh, you say, well, again, Brother Charles, why, do, why are you bringing up this? Because I want it to be understood that I believe the elect of God have a responsibility not just to go, not just to fall back and say, "Well, okay, I know I love God, I know God loves me, so let's just sit around and not worry about it." No, we're to continue to be adding, walking, advancing in our lives to a closer walk with God. And as as Paul was writing this letter here to the Romans, uh, he tells them, uh, as and we'll just try to go through this very quickly here, where he says. <clears throat> uh, Verse 6, not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Uh, and Israel was a name that was given to Jacob. Uh, it, was, it was as God changed his name from Jacob the surplanter, uh, the usurper. Uh, he then changed his name to Israel, which was God's nation, God's people, and so forth. So he says, uh, not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, <coughs> but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now I spent quite a bit of time, and I'm not going to today, to go back to... Uh, to go to Galatians chapter 4 and look at how uh, Isaac is called a, uh, a promised child and that we, like Isaac, are promised children. Uh, and he's talking in a, in a spiritual sense here that as, as God told Abraham, you're going to have a child, and Abraham was unable to perform that or to have that child on his own, God gave him and Sarah the child, okay? And he says, you and I are just like Isaac. We're unable to become uh, children of God, uh, but only God can bring that into our life. But it's promised to us by God, so it's also at the same time sure that it's going to happen in spite of the fact we don't see it, we don't understand it, uh, that God will, God will bring this to pass because he promised it. I, lo I love, Brother Adam and I have talked so recently as he's been studying some things, talking about covenants. Uh, and I know we're talking about going on, and on Wednesday night, starting to read uh, read and look at the book of Genesis and, and you know, using uh, Henry Mars, uh, John Mars, Henry Mars, uh, book of uh, uh, the Genesis record to kind of use as a guide to all that. Some of the, one of the interesting things back over there is when Abraham saw that he wasn't being blessed with a child, uh, and he, uh, and he, 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 he what did he do? You know, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't whine and complain and whatever. He went and talked to God about it. He said, God, I don't have any, an heir in my house except for Eliezer, my servant's children, and that will be my heir. And God says, no, 
That's not going to be your heir. You're going to have a child of your own. And then he took Abraham out and showed him the stars of the sky and said, if you can count the stars of the sky, so shall your seed be, and so forth. And he's, okay, Brother Charles, uh, the point of that is when he was talking to Abraham, he didn't say, Abraham, if you will do this, I will make you of their seed as the stars of the sky. It was not a covenant that God, that God and Abraham <laughs> were, the, were, the, were the two parties. There were other covenants there in Genesis where God said, Abraham, if you'll do this, I'll do this. But in this case, he took Abraham out and showed him this and said, this is going to be the way it is. And Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This was God's promise to Abraham. It was, it was uh, what was it called? Unilateral? It was a unilateral covenant. <laughs> it, was, it was a one-way covenant that God promised to Abraham. So now we get over here and we read in Romans, Paul's tapping into this same thing and he says, uh, they're not all Israel that are of Israel, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. We remember there was the event with Ishmael and Hagar and uh, the, the handmaid where Abraham and Sarah kind of, you know, tried to, try to, help, tried to help God. Uh, fulfill his promise and uh, you know if it was I guess part of that part of that just goes to show you know that it was not dependent on Abraham and it was not dependent upon Sarah it wasn't dependent on them trying to go and get a handmaid help God out God was going to fulfill his promise to to Abraham regardless of that Uh, and it says uh, and Isaac shall thy seed be called that is they which are the children of the flesh These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for seed. So uh, God's promise to Abraham was not only is kind of a, there was a natural uh, covenant. By the way, I said that, you know, that there was a unilateral covenant. It was. You go back and look in chapter 15, it's unilateral. Then you get over into 18 or whatever it is, and God kind of makes the same promise, but he seals it. Uh, then with Abraham and says this shall be the seal of this covenant through circumcision uh, so he says here's uh, here's how it's going to be sealed so that there's an evidence of this thing to you and then you need to keep this down through the ages uh, as as the token of what I've done for you and so that was to be the, that was the identifier the mark and the children of Israel that they were being obedient to God and following after him and keeping his laws and his covenants so he says they that are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for seed. So again, we'll just kind of hit this real quickly. But uh, the children of the flesh, that would be like Isaac. They tried to do that totally through the flesh. Uh, God didn't work just in the flesh. God, God worked in the spirit. And God, pro- the promised child was Isaac. He promised to them, and uh, Abraham being 100, Sarah being 90, uh, not able to have children. God blessed them to have children anyway, and God fulfilled his promise. I'll, I'll use it th- say it this way, in spite of them or despite them. In other words, it, it wasn't their work, their efforts or so forth that brought it about. It was totally by the work of God. And I think they were 190 just so all of us today, not only so they would know, This is God bringing life out of death. The one that can give life is uh, is God. 
uh, and he can take uh, death and make life out of it. And man can't do that. And I think he waited till that age so they would know that. And he waited till that age so that me and you would read this uh, 3,000 years later or 4,000 or whatever it is or more than that, I guess, uh, years later. And, and me and you would say, that had to be God working. That man was 100 years old and that woman was 90 years old. That could only be God, right? And so uh, as we read this, he says, uh, they which are children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for seed. And this is the word of promise. At that time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. Didn't say she might. She might, if y'all help me with it, you know, she shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one, even our father Isaac, for the children, parentheses, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. God lays out for us a principle here that corresponds with election. And he says the electing process doesn't depend on the works. It didn't depend on the works of Abraham. It didn't depend on the works of Isaac or uh, or Rebecca. Uh, because before the children were ever born, before they had ever done anything good or evil, before they were ever conceived, in fact, I would I would submit to you that it corresponds to Ephesians one and four. Before the foundation of the world, God has chosen a people in Christ Jesus to be holy and without blame before him in love, before the children had done any good or evil. Why? That the purpose of God according to election might stand. That we might be able to see today that this had nothing to do with what they did, what they said, what they believed, what they accepted, what they, what the, how they were baptized. It had nothing to do with any of that. In fact, as you, if you go back and read about uh, 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 <coughs> Jacob and Esau... As a young man, Jacob was the conniver. Uh, Esau, it doesn't say anything necessarily uh, terrible about him or anything. You know, he was a hunter. He was a worker. He did all these things, you know, and just and so forth and so on. But Jacob appeared to be the one that was kind of the scoundrel of the bunch. And, and, and I, you know, it makes me think about, <laughs> you know, it makes me think about Brother Gary's sermon last Sunday morning here, by the way, if, if you know you think about uh, God, the God of second chances. Uh, not exactly, but you know what I'm saying. How God can take that which doesn't seem to be appropriate for his service, uh, whether it's people like Paul that was, a, that was a killer and a slayer, or someone like Solomon who had all these wives, and, con- and yet Solomon was given, was given wisdom at one point in time to write, a, write some of the, the wisest words of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and all these things that we find, and David was given to write the Psalms, yet uh, in spite of his faults and failings uh, and, and so forth, and the one who was the scoundrel naturally, by his, by his flesh, was the one God had chosen way before, way before the beginning of time uh, to say, he's going to be the one that I'm going to bless. Through his lineage shall come the Christ child. Uh, through his lineage, uh, I'm going to set it as example, these two twin boys, uh, 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 which is an allegory. Well, Ishmael and uh, Isaac were the allegories. Uh, but through these two boys, I'm going to set an example that Jacob have I loved, 
But Esau have I hated. And he says, as it is written unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, which was contrary to the laws of nature, uh, of their laws that they had over there, which was natural that the eldest shall be the one that gets the inheritance. He said, no, the younger is going to get the inheritance and the elder is going to serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. If you want to know where it's written, it's written in the first chapter of the book of Malachi. Uh, You can go over there and read that. Uh, He says, what shall we say then? God has chosen the younger and not the elder. He says he loves Jacob and he hates Esau. What are we going to say to these things? Is there unrighteousness with God? Because he chose one and didn't choose the other one. Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid Today, uh, what you hear, uh, you know, uh, uh, today in the world that me and you are living in, and, and this is talking about Christian, Christian faith, uh, uh, in the Christian faith, uh, the predominant, one of the predominant things that you'll hear is God loves everybody. <clears throat> well, that's not what God's Word says. And, and it's contrary to the Word of God. And I'm not, you know, I'm, if it sounds like I'm throwing bricks, I'm glad they believe that Jesus Christ is Savior and that they serve Him and follow Him and so forth. And, and you know, but, but we need to be honest with God's Word also and say, God doesn't love everybody. <laughs> he chose a people. He redeemed a people. He justified a people. And those people are going to be in heaven. And they're a vast, innumerable host that no man can number uh, and so forth. But He says... Uh, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. This is the sovereignty of God in action. God is merciful to whom he will, and to whom he will, uh, you know, uh, he, he bring, he's not merciful. So he says, so then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. What, is, what does that statement mean? It doesn't, it's not by my will or your will and running. He's talking about efforts or works or so forth. It's not by your will. It's not by somebody else's will. It's totally according to the sovereign mercy of God that he brings this about. Then he gives, starts giving us uh, an example. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, uh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might shew my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Now, so now he begins to give us an example of how sometimes how God works. And, and what he shows us here is a fellow by the name of Pharaoh. And it tells us that therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. And thou wilt then say unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? And I'll have to get into explaining some of this, what he's talking about here. Because uh, <clears throat> he's talking about Pharaoh. And he says, you know, God raised up Pharaoh. Why? So that he might could show his power. So that God might show his power. Not show Pharaoh's power. God raised Pharaoh up to show the power of God. The, the nation of Egypt was, as I've said on other occasions here, I, I'd say the greatest 
empire on the face of the earth at that time. And God's children had been down there in slavery and captivity for over four over 400 years. And now, uh, if we want to go back to the book of Exodus, you can go back and read Exodus, uh, the first however many chapters, first 20 chapters will get you plenty, uh, and, and show you there how God had a people down there in Egypt. He had told them they would go down there. He had also told them that he would bring them out again, uh, and that they would come out richer and, and better than what it was when they went down there. Because when they went down there, it was Jacob, uh, his families, and, and the 70, the 70, uh, I think that's an interesting number, by the way, uh, that uh, God sent 70 down into Egypt. Uh, and later uh, we find uh, uh, Christ sent out 70, two by two, uh, to preach. There's just interesting numbers in the Bible sometimes that you find. Uh, Jacob and his 70 went down there and uh, probably a million to two million came out some 400 years later. Uh, blessed, blessed of God, uh, and they came out. Even though they had, the Egyptians had the one of the greatest cultures of the day, uh, they had all these false gods that they had down there that God overcame through the plagues uh, and showed them that He had power over all their false gods. Uh, and also, uh, they had the great army that they sent out to try to capture uh, capture Israel after He had let them go, uh, and God destroyed the army just by bringing the water down on them and dumping them in on, on the Red Sea and destroying, the, destroying Pharaoh and his army. Uh, <clears throat> why did he do all this? To show his power, that God has power. He says, For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might shew my power in thee, and that my name might be declared through all the earth. Now, you go back and look at what happened after the children of Israel came out and they're going over toward Canaan's land. Now, we know they had some problems getting there. Uh, but everywhere that they began to go, even some 40 years later after they had wandered into the wilderness, the people over there at Jericho and places like this were talking about, this is Israel. This is the people that God, their God, delivered them out of Egypt. This is the people that have been wandering in the wilderness uh, all these years and they've not died and so forth and they've not been consumed by hunger and thirst and so forth. This is the, the people of Israel that their, their God has blessed and they were scared. I'm just going to say it that way. They were scared of, their, of the God of Israel. Why? Because God had shown His power in that people and that word had spread throughout that portion of the world over there so that everybody knew who these people were when they were coming. So he says, For Scripture saith, Pharaoh, uh, saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up. What? That God might show he has mercy on whom he will have mercy, and that whom he will, uh, uh, he uh, has compassion. Uh, for that very reason, God raised up Pharaoh, uh, that he might show his power, and that God's name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardens. The Bible you can read over there over and over again. It talks about how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Moses would go to him and say, let my people go. He would think, well, I'll let them go. And then the next thing you know, his heart would be hardened. And, and so Paul addresses the problem that he knew people were going to, going to have with this. He says, what will, what will thou will then say unto me? Why doth he find fault? And for who hath resisted his will? Now, the, the logical conclusion out of this would be that 
Well, everything works under the parameters of God's will. So how can we possibly find fault with God for people that have sinned and rebelled and you know they've been mean to the children of Israel and so on? How can we possibly find fault with... Uh, how could God punish these people when really they're just working out the will of God? I mean, Paul knew that was going to be the comment. So he says... That will then say to me, why doth God find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Uh, God has power to raise up. God has power to bring down. We can see it time after time after time how God raised up people like the Assyrians. And the Assyrians went in and what did they do? They laid captive to the ten northern tribes of Israel. Why? Because God got tired of them worshiping idol gods. And so he raised up a nation to come in and bring them down. What did he do later? He brought it, raised up another nation to bring the Assyrians down, called Babylon. Uh, he raised up Babylon to go bring the rest of the children of Israel into captivity. Why? Because they were worshiping false gods and idols, and God got tired of it. Uh, he 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 called. He sent them prophets. He called on them, repent, 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 turn toward God, and they said, well. Okay, not really, and and went on and went on their way uh, and doing what they want to do. So God says, "Okay, I'll raise up a nation. He'll come in and he'll cause." And you know what he did to that nation? That he raised up another nation to come in and and punish them because they had been mean to his people. I mean, and all of this, God is sovereign in bringing about these things. Uh, he will harden whom he whom he will. He has compassion, and whom he hardeneth, he hardeneth. And so God is still a, a, a just and right in all of these things but uh, but he says uh, he knew what Paul knew what people would say well how could God find fault with Pharaoh for hardening his heart he came crushed the waters back in on Pharaoh and Pharaoh was just kind of doing what God uh, God wanted him to do no I'm going to tell you God, uh, Pharaoh did exactly what Pharaoh's heart wanted to do uh, and when God removed the uh, tendering compassions off of Pharaoh uh, at times that would have caused him to be compassionate Pharaoh got just as mean and as nasty as Pharaoh always was. <clears throat> and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and so uh, did what, he did what Pharaoh really wanted to do in his heart to start with as a, as a sinful man. He says, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formedeth, Why hast thou made me thus? You know, we could... Uh, I think we hopefully I'll stay to the context of this here. But, you know, isn't that a lot like we are a lot of times? Well, God, why did you make me, you know, I'm I'm short or, you know, I've got big nose or I've got big ears or whatever. You know, why did you make me like I am? Uh, you know, how can we as the clay? Brother Gary talked about this again last weekend, how God took Jeremiah down to the down to the potter's house. And he was working on the wheel. Y'all ever, y'all ever seen any of that on, uh, you know, public TV or whatever? The guy's sitting there, he's pushing the wheel, you know, and he's got the, got the pots, you know, and he's there working and molding and gets his little stick out and puts a groove in it, you know, or whatever, you know. He makes it just the most beautiful thing because he has the skill to do it. But you know, every now and then, uh, he gets too much water in there and that old thing goes, Brother Gary's talking about that thing will collapse in on itself. And he has to kind of pound it back down and remold it and make it into something new. Uh, 
And so Paul reaches back to several of these examples. You can go and read about the potter and the potter's wheel, whether it's in Jeremiah, Isaiah, uh, Hosea, and other places throughout the throughout the scriptures. Uh, but he talks about, uh, "Oh man, who art thou that replies against God? Who are we to question God?" and his sovereignty, and his will, and, and so forth, and say, you know, God, why did you do it like that? Why, God, why, why didn't you give the law? Uh, to me, God, it just seems like you should have given the law to the Gentiles, just like you did uh, uh, Israel back during that day. Well, who am I to question God and how he worked and how he laid out uh, his, his, uh, his will to bring the children of Israel as a special people through Abraham because of Abraham's faithfulness. God blessed them naturally. And I want you all to see this because uh, if you look at a lot of these examples here, while we, can, while we can make some allusions to some eternal things, there's also the blessings of being faithful to God and how God uh, blesses people like Abraham, like he blessed him and promised him. The covenant of redemption was made before the foundation of the world that God would have a people out of every kindred, nation, tongue, and tribe, and it was by his blood and by the blood of the Lamb and so forth. But Abraham came along and got a blessing. Being one of God's chosen people, God, Abraham got a blessing of being the one through whom the seed of Christ would come. And I believe that promise was made because Abraham was a faithful follower of God and believed in God. And God gave him that special blessing that through your lineage, all the children of the earth are going to be blessed in thy seed. And Galatians tells us that seed was Christ. Through thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. He gave Abraham a blessing because Abraham was faithful to God. <clears throat> now, you begin to... And, and then you come along and say, Okay, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Uh, they're not all Israel that are of Israel, and so forth. And he says, God has power over the clay of the same lump to make a, vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. God has, a, has abilities to, to cause that, that pot to be a shining, or sometimes he can kind of mar it <laughs> with a stick and it'll collapse in on itself, and, you know, and God is still sovereign in all of that. And he says, so who are we to look around and say, well, I don't understand why God does it like that. And, and you know, today, I mean, we could talk everything from creation to, uh, uh, to life, uh, being a blessing from God and so forth and, and many other subjects. And, and, and you've got today all the people of the world saying, well, I don't, I don't know why God does it like that. Or maybe they don't say, well, I don't believe God even does any of that. I believe it's all, you know, evolved from nature and so forth. But anyway, he says, who are we to reply against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? You know, maybe, you know, God in some cases made... Uh, beautiful vessels. You know, can I'm, I'm going in spiritual examples here, maybe in some sense, but but you go back and say, have you ever thought, man, I wish I had the wisdom of Solomon. You know, but why didn't why didn't God bless me with the wisdom of Solomon? Because it didn't seem fit in His sight. He maybe He just made me a little teacup. You know, uh, you know, I'm a little teacup. No, no I'm a little teapot, uh, short and stout. You know, anyway, so. You know, God made me. God made me the way He made me. And you know what I need to do? I need to be the best teapot I can be. 
I mean, I may never, I'll probably never be, you know, obviously. I'll never be a Solomon. I'll never be a David. I'll never be uh, some of those great men. I'll never be an Apostle Paul. And I hope I'm not a Saul, you know, and, and so, but I may not be one of those great men in God's kingdom, but you know what? Should I go around complaining about the fact that God has blessed me right where I'm at or just be thankful to try to be the best servant in the, in the place where I'm at and be the best pot I can be no matter so with what God has given me to, to do. So he says, uh, have not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another to dishonor? What if God willing to shew his wrath uh, and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction? Some vessels are going to be just totally crushed, marred, stomped out. Why? Because they're fought, they, were, they, were, they were made that way, uh, to be that way. Uh, and what if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known... Suffered for a long time these vessels of dishonor, whether it's uh, we could go through and name all down through the ages, you know, different things we've seen that are dishonorable things to God. What let's 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 bring this into modern times. What if God, willing to shew his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the Muslim nation? And I'm not saying all Muslims are not. Or not vessels or vessels of dishonor. I'm just using that as it. What if God endured ungodly idolatry, uh, serving other gods, so that He might could show His power? You know, to to me, uh, you know, it, me and you sit around here, and you know, maybe we're like uh, <laughs> y'all go, y'all go shoot me. Uh, what, maybe we're like, you know, maybe sometimes we're more like Donald Trump. You know, we're like, uh, okay, so they cross the line, set off 60 cruise missiles, and let's just show them how it is. But, you know, God willing to show his uh, uh, endured with much long suffering, the vessels of, of wrath. Uh, God says, you know what? I'm going to wait. The wrath's coming. Uh, there's not, there's not going to be any turning of my wrath. My wrath will come on the vessels of dishonor, but willing to show what? Show how much greater God is than me and you are. God is so patient. God is so uh, kind. But you know what? Never let it be said that God's wrath is not coming. Uh, you know, don't don't be don't be like the go over to Second Peter chapter three. You know, and and uh, says the time is coming when people say, "Where is God? Uh, he's been promised that He's coming again." You know, from the very beginning, we don't see any evidence that God's coming. I mean, I'm giving you the Charles Kitchens uh, summary version there in the Second Peter chapter three. You know, people say, "Why? You know, why should I believe in God? Everybody's been promising He's coming again for all these years. I don't see any evidence of His coming." God says, what if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering, uh, the vessels of wrath uh, fitted for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he hath afore prepared to glory, even us whom he hath called not only of the Jews, but also of the Gentiles. What if God was patiently waiting that final destruction so that he might show he has a people among every nation, every kindred, every tribe, Jews, Gentiles. Uh, God wanted to show that uh, he had the riches of his glory among uh, all peoples of this, of this earth. Uh, as he saith in O.C. or Hosea, 
I will call them my people which were not my people and her beloved which were not my beloved. Here again, he is making a direct reference. Go back and read Hosea. You can, you know, if you've got a reference Bible, you can follow it out. First and second chapter of Hosea. He's telling them over there, uh, go back and read. What, what was the prophet Hosea's mission? God told him to go down and marry a prostitute uh, by the name of Gomer uh, so that Hosea might know how God felt. <clears throat> That's pretty rough, isn't it? I mean, God, God says, I want you to go marry this ungodly woman so that you know how I feel about the children of Israel and about the nation of Israel who's running around with all types of idol gods and committing adultery out there right and left with all kinds of things instead of being faithful to me. Hosea, I want you to go marry this woman so you'll know how I feel. And then he goes on down through Hosea and he says... I'm going to one of these days show that I have the people that are not my people. I'm going to declare them to be my people. Because the children of Israel no doubt looked out on the, on the Gentiles as those dogs uh, and, and often thought, well, you know what? Yeah, but we, you know, we might not be perfect, but you know what? We've got the one true and living God. Uh, so we're better than those folks over there. God says, yeah, one of these days I'm going to show you that I've got people over there too. And he says, as he saith also in O.C., I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall, be, shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah, Isaiah also cried concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, as a remnant shall be saved. I'm going to propose to you, and uh, we'll get into this again when we get over into chapter 11. That that remnant is talking about a timely remnant. Uh, God will always, that remnant is usually, go, if you go back and look over in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, is it Ezekiel? No, it's with the prophet Elijah. When Elijah was uh, bringing uh, down fire from heaven uh, on the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove and so forth. And, uh, the, uh, and after this had happened, Elijah goes off and hides in the cave because he's scared of Jezebel and, and the king's going to come and kill him after he had seen the power of God and the fire from heaven come down and consume the, the altar and all this stuff. Then he slips off into the cave and cowers down and says, Oh, I'm so scared because uh, Jezebel... Jezebel is after me, and, God, and, and I'm the only one that's left to serve God. And God said to Elijah, I have 7,000 men of Israel that have still not bowed their knee to Baal that you don't know anything about. There, he said, I still have a remnant that has not bowed their knee to Baal. Here we find that word remnant used again here in this place. Isaiah crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved, for he will finish work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And Isaiah saith uh, before, except the Lord Sabaoth, uh, uh, the Lord of glory, uh, the, the, the word Sabaoth, had left us seed. We had been as Sodom and, as, and been made like unto Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have obtained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by works, 
works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Again, I think if you see here, while there's while there's some allusion to eternal things in this uh, ninth chapter of the book of, of uh, Romans, it's talking also about the timely blessings that come to God's people. And he says, they tried to get it. By, they tried to get this law of righteousness through their works. He said, instead the Gentiles have got it because they did the works and had faith even though they didn't have the law. You got to thinking that the law was the way you did it instead of looking back to Abraham's example who just believed God and followed after him and Abraham was 400 years before the law. He says, they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion, or sign, a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. They took their eyes off the one true and living God. And I'm going to tell you, me and you today, if we get to thinking it's by our baptism or by our daily works and, you know, and so forth, that that's what's going to get us uh, and make us blessed of God, We've missed the same boat the children of Israel did. Uh, we need to be looking by faith to God. You know, I, I want to get out here and I want to work in the community. I want to do things to, to, and to shine a banner forth, not just say, oh, look at Zion Rest Church. And I want to say, child of God, child of the King, this is how we work and what we do. This is how we should act and what we should do. But if I get to thinking that's going to be how God's blessings come and forget that God's blessings come just because of His mercy and His grace and maybe our prayers and our faithfulness and so forth, I've missed the boat too. And so uh, I don't deserve the least of His blessings, uh, both eternally or timely. Uh, that doesn't mean stop working. It just means look look to God for your, for your blessings. God might, through your belief and your faithfulness, that see to bless us here at this place once again. All right, so we'll we'll pause at the end uh, at the end of the ninth chapter. We'll pick this up again and begin to talk about some things in the tenth chapter. How God has a blessed people, and I trust that we're part of that group of blessings, uh, blessed people that God has uh, throughout this world.